Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy-Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the show where you get expert advice about the heavy-duty parts you buy and sell and keep you informed about what's happening in the industry. Height control valves and air horns. Not something that you would necessarily categorize together, unless, of course, you're talking about Hadley. Now, they are a manufacturer who, to the casual observer, would see a high-quality truck parts manufacturer since the mid-1940s. But I think in today's conversation, you're going to see that they're much more than just that. I'd like to introduce you to Brian Quiella, VP of Sales and Marketing at Hadley. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jamie. If there's one thing that we can accomplish in this thing is I can get the proper pronunciation of my last name out into the marketplace. If that's all I get, success. I tried my best. (laughs) (laughs) So Hadley has had an unwavering commitment to the trucking industry. And I see that your slogan is your vehicle, your company, your success. I'd kind of like to hear from you what that means to you, what that means to the company. So I think uh, at Hadley, we spent a lot of time uh, doing customer surveys, getting kind of branding feedback. And a lot of the comments that we get back is, you know, what do you do for me personally? And I think when you look at what we do from a product standpoint, I mean, we've been around for 75 years. I mean, we're known for air horns, high control valves, uh, mirrors, small air compressors. So we're not just a singular type product company. It's what are you going to do? for the person that I'm talking to. What am I going to do for Jamie, right? What do I do for their vehicle? How do I make their vehicle more competitive? How do I help their company make more profit? And in turn, how do I make the person that I'm working with, because people make all this happen, how do I make the people more successful within their company, but also personally? You know, how do we customize that that message that says, here's what I think your goals are personally, and how can I help you do that? So a product company, but one that's focused on solving problems for your customers. Yeah, we want to create a dialogue and discussion with our customers of how can I help you start there and then work into the rest of the the product solution and system category. So how have height control or ride control systems changed in recent years? Because I see that you now have a smart valve. Yeah, so like I said, we've been around for 75 years, so we're known as kind of the air horn guy. So I walk into a trade show or a customer and, and I say, oh, you're from Hadley, the Airhorn guys. Yes, but we also, you know, we have a, an extensive ride control business as well. Uh, we've been doing it actually since 1974. So we've got a little bit of experience in it. When you talk about the smart valve, there's a, a genesis and an evolution of mechanical ride height towards electronics. And it's odd in our industry, it's, uh, it's new, not so new is kind of a thing you hear quite a bit. 
we often in the commercial vehicle industry have the technology available, but you don't have the ROI per se, or the timing's not right for high adoption rates. And it takes the industry a long time to catch up. And I think when we released the smart valve, actually back in 2002, we started working on it. In 2013, we were probably a little bit ahead of the market on releasing it, but our customers are expecting a greater functionality, more feedback, diagnostic controls, and it's generally an evolution of the mechanical valve business towards an integrated electronic system. We began doing electronic ride control integration in actually 2000. Uh, we started with buses and RVs. So we've been doing this for you know, almost 20 years plus now. Uh, the smart valve was just the, the next evolution of that, that product line. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So it's no uh, surprise to anyone that's in the industry that we have a bit of a late adopting industry. Now that we are in 2020, how has that changed? Like you said, for around 2013, the smart valve. But so in the last seven years, what's changed? What's happened? What has been the experience of the fleets who have adopted it? I'd love to hear more about that. The smart valve really solves a couple issues for the fleets. It really protects the driver. It improves driver safety, comfort. It allows them to do their job quicker, easier, and safer. And in turn, that results in greater profit for the fleets. I think the, the timing is right in that Right now, we're on this cusp of the e-vehicle era, right? Uh, the alternative fuel era. And I think the demand is there now from any customer, whether it's you or I in our personal or professional uh, life, is actually looking for more integrated system uh, architecture or networks. And I think that carries through into the commercial vehicle market where the, the demand is now there because the technology is more readily available in our personal lives. We're getting more accustomed to it, that I think the, the smart valve and the integrated system architecture is now part of our status quo or the, the current requirement. It's like the minimum level requirement now is to have some sort of integration into the system. And I think that's, that's kind of where our industry is at right now. It just takes us a long time to get there. I mean, we're a commercial vehicles move freight. We've got some liability concerns that, that our people worry about on the customer side. So I think all those things need to mesh together. Legislation obviously needs to pull into that as well. So I think right now we're seeing a lot of that all kind of combine as you see this big push of e-vehicle or the Nikolas out there in the world. As those guys get more traction, no pun intended, but as those guys get out there, I think you're going to see a fast adoption rate in the commercial vehicle market. I, personally, in my honest opinion, I think you'll see more technology adopted on trucks than you will in automotive or in other areas. I think it really is time. The trucking industry is going to be revolutionized in the next 10 years. Like the way we went into 2020 and the way we come out of it in 2030, I don't think we're even going to recognize the industry. That's a great point to make because we saw this in 2008 and 9. So going into 2008 and 9, you, you had somewhat of a status quo of these are the vehicles we produce. Coming out of 8 and 9, the whole industry shifted, right? Players came in, players went out, and then there was a greater impetus on cost control and operating profit at our customers. And that's where a lot of this, they were willing to adopt and try out more technology. So we saw a huge increase in trials and adoptions coming out of that great recession. And just like you, you mentioned, just like this coming out of this, I think you're going to see a really big push on even, even faster adoption. Yeah. And there's that whole demographic issue too, where we have so many people in the industry that are on the cusp of retirement. Oftentimes when these collapses happen, it kind of pushes people. Some people work a little longer to try to recover some money, but other people just say, you know what? I'm done. 
And so with the younger generation now taking over more and more of the senior leadership roles, they have a different philosophy, a different mindset. They're Sometimes they're more open to the new technology and the adoption of it. Plus, then you have all of those political and other issues going on that are just driving the whole thing. So yeah, I can really see how a company like yours has been around for a long time, but has been heavily invested in developing technologies and kind of like we started the conversation, right? Finding a solution for the customer that's guiding you. Yeah. The market will tell us where to go. Oh, yeah. Just got to read the tea leaves, right? <laughs> It'll tell you where to go. <laughs> It'll tell me where to go. So when I think of Hadley, like you said earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that people kind of think of air horns. Can you just tell us like how, because height control valves and air horns, like how did that all come together in one company? Tell us the story about the air horns. Yeah. So I, I tell this quite often. There was actually a Harold Hadley. Uh, he started the company in Defiance, Ohio in 1945. So this is our 75th anniversary year. What a hell of a year to have an anniversary year. We might do a redo and change the website and make it next year. We'll see. But I think when you look at the genesis of Hadley is Harold Hadley owned the company until about the 70s. He sold it to Midland Ross at the time. I don't know if you're familiar with Midland Ross. They're a big parts group. And in 1984, our current ownership acquired Nelson Metal Companies from Midland Ross. And part of that was a, a Hadley. So Hadley went with that, that acquisition. And in doing so, uh, Midland Ross said, well, if you're going to buy Hadley, we have this height control valve business that we acquired at England and you need to take that. So it kind of came along with the air horns uh, and it made sense because it was pneumatic controls. So back in the, let's say the 70s, 80s and 90s, I mean, air ride was becoming extremely popular. And this kind of just fit with our, our overall strategy back then of becoming a pneumatics controls expert. Air horns are our bread and butter. That's what we're known for. But I mean, a lot of our investment and in dynamic design is in uh, ride control and integrating air systems. So we call it now signaling devices and integrated ride controls. It's, it's funny you bring up Midland. I actually am very familiar with them because I started my career as a remanufacturer and there were uh, several hydraulic and air over hydraulic systems and stuff that we were a part of. And so Midland was part of the mix of the products that we remanufactured, but man, you're taking me back 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So we, I mean, we've been doing the ride controls for a long time. A lot of people don't realize that because some of it goes as a tier two and a lot of it goes to the aftermarket. So People don't realize that we have such a foothold in, in the ride control business as well. Some people, you, you used an expression tier two. Some people might not know the difference between tier one, tier two. What is the difference? So in, in our world, tier one is the direct OEM. So for us, that's the Kenworths, the Freightliners, the Navistar Internationals, the Volvos, the Max. That's what we consider a tier one. Uh, as a tier two, we sell a subsystem to someone else who assembles it as the tier one. So for, for Hadley, a lot of that goes into the suspension market. So our height control valves are sold to the suspension manufacturer who package that, is that with an entire assembly, suspension assembly with axle and the wheel ends and everything. And then that gets sent off to the OEM as the tier one. So when you're not the tier one, you, you, didn't, you generally don't get to see your name all over the place at the OEM level. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin. We've been speaking with Brian, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Hadley. Brian, as we look to the future, where do you see the aftermarket heading? And really, I want to kind of focus on the diagnostic side. Yeah, I think we're seeing somewhat, somewhat of a transition in that the, the fleets are getting much more interested in dealing directly with some of the suppliers. I think they still very much so honor the traditional distribution channels. That's typically where they get their parts from, obviously. But I think they are much more 
interested in direct dialogue with suppliers specifically regard in regards to the diagnostics of these new technologies that are coming out. I mean, you look at diesel laptops, I mean, that's a great example of success right there. And, and what's going on in our industry is that at some point, these guys are going to have to have computer science degrees to start working on these vehicles. I mean, if you look at some of the autonomy that's out there right now, I mean, that's not a traditional diesel mechanic, right? So I think there's a, a dialogue that's opening up that's cutting a few channels out probably. So I, I think you're seeing a streamline of troubleshooting and diagnostics controls. But at the OEM level, I think you're also seeing more ownership on their side. They seem to want to take more ownership in the systems diagnostics of the whole vehicle. I think there's always going to be a third-party avenue there, you know, your Allison's, your, your, your engine-related stuff. But I think some of the, uh, the truck manufacturers, uh, even on the trailer side, they want more ownership of what the systems are doing. And in doing so, they're having more emphasis within their aftermarket technician groups on how do we now diagnose all these things. You know, uh, we work a lot on uh, the tool groups. The tool groups are the, the dealership tool committees and groups on, you know, error coding. You all have J1939 standard communication protocols. You have CAN networks. There's a lot of mismatch communication out there. There's a lot of independent ECUs that are talking to each other. And I think going forward and what you're seeing in the marketplace is, is there is a push now to have more singular control of that. And I think in the next five to 10 years, you'll see, I think the OEMs take a little bit more of a role in actually controlling some of that. Uh, but I also think you're going to have a lot more fleet direct control of what they want to see. So I think you're going to see some of that is typically you've always seen an SAE protocol for error coding or something like that. I think you're going to see more customization at the fleet level on what has worked in the past and what they think will work going forward. And I think we just need to be able to adjust. So whatever we do as an industry, it's got to have somewhat of an open architecture that you can adjust and be flexible with it. So I think flexibility and, and more input is going to be the push going forward. Right. And in the past, we've talked on the podcast about the technician shortage. I know I recently had a conversation with a young guy. He just graduated high school. He wants to be in the trades. He wants to be a technician. I sat him down and I said, look, if you focus on any one thing, don't become a wheel end guy, go focus on diagnostics become a specialist in that. There's at least four main categories on trucks where you can get into diagnostics. You will set yourself up for your whole career because if you just go into it as a basic mechanic, you know, doing wheel end and suspension and stuff like that, yes, you need to know all of that. But without understanding the the greater systems and how the trucks are evolving and changing, you know, you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage. And so you can see the wheels turning in his head like, okay, I, I need to focus on that in my training. When you talk about FTF training, first of all, what is that and like how important is it in our industry going forward? To answer that comment on that first part of what you just said there is these type of technicians are really becoming specialists, you know, and that really requires more focus, but they're also more critical in the shop uh, than anything. So I think that's great advice is to say, you know, get really into this specialist side of it because it carries over. I want to loop back too, because something that I think we'll probably talk about is we use the Technology Maintenance Council. I don't know if you've heard of the TMC group. Yeah, I was at TMC in Atlanta this year. Yeah, so Hadley's huge supporters of, of that group and what they're trying to do of getting technicians engaged. So that's another avenue where you can kind of generate training procedures. Uh, you kind of get an idea of best practices of what everyone else is doing. Whenever I'm at these TMC events, 
Um, you sit through a, a host of different topics, a lot of it all focused on the technician training, the shortages that are out there, but they all come back to face-to-face training. I mean, nothing beats face-to-face training. And for us, face-to-face means it, it, how do I speed up the competency level of the technician? And even as a salesman, how do I speed up the competency or understanding of our value proposition with the sales manager or the parts manager or the service manager um, or an engineer at an OEM? And that can be done over Zoom. It can be done over email. We're leveraging a lot of videos, how-to videos, FAQ, question and answer videos. But still, to me, from a time standpoint, that's all we have. Time is all we got. And a face-to-face meeting accelerates all of that competency as opposed to using some sort of a third-party media outlet for it. And I think that's why things like TMC, where you can get the OEM, the supplier, the technician, the dealer, the fleet, all in one room. I mean, those type of events are well attended, but there's 85,000 to 100,000 fleets in the country. Only a small handful actually participate. So if that would, if that could grow, think about what we could do as an industry if you get more people into a room talking about the same issue, because I think you'll, you'll have a lot of learning and you'll have a lot of advancement as well. So for us, face-to-face is, is the best for us. Speaking of using those digital technologies, digital media, so whether we're, we're talking sales and marketing, we're talking training, I personally am a big proponent of the idea that if you provide digital assets at the right time to help someone move from one phase to the next to the next, that could be through a buying journey, that could be through technical training, and then you couple that with the face-to-face training, that's where you get the best results or face-to-face meetings with customers. Like, How do you look at that? Does Hadley look at that? How do you look at that, Brian? So we've made it a priority within our marketing plan. We've uh, allocated a lot more funds to generating content, video-based. We've looked at it two ways. You mentioned tying it into the training and the sales process, right? I think those are great tools, right? We look at those as tools, but not the, the actual sale, right? Or the actual training. When I look at how to properly use that, it's, it's tying in the sales process with the training process, but also on what platform can I integrate our customers' personal use and professional use, right? If I can get on the platform that they're using personally and professionally, that's where we can create the greater tie-in of what we're trying to, to sell. Because if, if I can get them on YouTube, if I can get them on TikTok, if I can get them on Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter or whatever the next generation wants to put out there, we have to kind of touch all of those. And each one of our videos that we do, we do kind of a, a long shot video. Uh, and then we can chop that up into pieces so that we can push content to different places. So if they're on their TikTok, they might see more of a marketing type video, right? But if they're in YouTube, they're more chaptered how-to, you know, or, or a troubleshooting guide or a, a fault code type of review on YouTube. So we kind of want to customize all the content to how our customers will probably consume it. And that includes getting an understanding of, are they big TikTok consumers? Because if they are, then we got to make sure we're there, right? You know, I say TikTok because that's the latest thing right now. And oh, by the way, you got to get in on the first wave. If you're not in on the first wave, you've already missed the boat. Right. So you're, you're trying to play catch up all the time. So I think it's, it's an ever changing and evolving. And I think in our industry, you're seeing a lot more production quality go into some of the YouTube videos and a lot more purposeful viral content on the smaller channels. Hope that answers your question. Yeah. And for someone who's, who's listening, don't get overwhelmed. The first thing you should do is pick whoever your targeting is the most. 
and get really good there first. And then you can adopt these other ones. But that being said, when these new platforms do come out, make sure you grab your handles, make sure you get involved, understand. And I love what you said about taking one piece of content and then breaking it down into micro content and distributing it across what they call an omni-channel, many channels. And the only thing to remember there is that each channel, the person consuming the content is in a different mindset when they're on Facebook, when they're scrolling on Instagram, when they're watching videos on TikTok, or if they're searching something on YouTube or listening to a podcast. Those are all very different headspaces. It could be the same person on all of those different platforms, but they're in different headspaces. So you have to adapt the content to that. You have to get an understanding of that. And I love that a manufacturer like yourself is taking that seriously and really understanding it and using it to your advantage. And you mentioned diesel laptops. There's a company that understands all of that very well. And they went from zero to 50 million in sales in a very short period of time. And they use basically social media to get there. So anybody who's going, it doesn't work. You're wrong. I'm going to say it. You're just wrong. (laughs) Now, it's not going to replace, like you said earlier, it's not going to replace face-to-face the entire process. It's just adding to it. It's a tool in the toolbox. Make sure your salespeople have the tools to get the job done or your technicians or whoever. So where we are right now, today we're recording this. Uh, Your episode will go out later in the year, but right now we're recording this. We're we're kind of in between the first wave and probably the second wave of COVID-19. And when we were planning for this interview, you said something interesting. You said that perhaps COVID-19 is going to set the industry back three to five years. What do you mean by that? Why do you feel that way? In one aspect, I think a lot of it's financially driven. I mean, you had a lot of investment in technology over the last five years. And with a situation like the uh, the coronavirus is a lot of companies retrenched, right? They pulled back, preserved cash, right? We all went through the, the Great Recession, So this is not new territory for for us as business people. But I think the gap you have now is we've lost a lot of that face time and development time. In the Great Recession, we never shut down. We never closed shop. Here in this situation, we lost about a month worth, at least a month of productivity, industry-wide, I think. If you're an essential manufacturer, you were just building parts to make sure trucks kept going, but your engineers were home. Everyone was, was, was at home. Some people were furloughed, but there was a lot of furloughs that, that happened, a lot of layoffs. So I think coming out of this, the difference between the Great Recession and coronavirus situation is that we actually took productivity on the development side out, where prior it was restructuring financially, but you still wanted to push dates, right? You had projects, you might push it out a little bit. From a financial standpoint, here we actually took resources away, and they might not come back. Or like you, like you and I were kind of talking before this started, this could extend into 2021. So if you lose the first and second half of 2020, maybe you'll lose the first half of 2021. Is the ripple effect in new product launches now pushed to 2024, 2025? Or do you see a whipsaw, a whiplash effect? They might accelerate some things, but push other things out. And I think that's what we don't know right now is, you know, how much damage did we actually do by actually closing? I have no idea what that answer is, by the way, but I do think it's something we want to be aware of as resources, when I say personnel resources and financial resources are constrained, timelines have to change at some point. And I think we're seeing that pressure in the system right now. 
So I, I think that three to five years might be real, depending on what level or what the technology is or was. But I think some things might actually accelerate because fuel might be sub $3. Necessity is the mother, right? That'll shift what was being developed a little bit, and that might accelerate something else. So I think that's what we got to keep an eye on. And as an industry, we have to continue to push ourselves to make sure that we are able to not just weather this, but in that three to five years, can we emerge stronger, more focused, and can we see more companies like innovative and entrepreneurial-based companies to help us to change the way that we traditionally were doing things that was holding us back? And I think that in there is both the, the question mark and all the opportunity. The one thing that I'm really trying to pay attention to at things like TMC, things like Mid-America, things like CES, right? CES is now a, a regular stop on the trade show circuit for everybody, is the, the non-traditional supply base that's emerging out of these situations is remarkable. It's hard to keep track of the, the new technology and new suppliers that are entering the marketplace every day. And I think th- situations like this just accelerate that more. So you mentioned that people think of Hadley, they think of air horns. We've talked about ride control systems. You know, just to kind of finish up our total conversation, now that people have had a chance to listen to this, how do you want people to think of Hadley? And when they see that name, what do you want them to think? With anything, any company wants to our customers and, and people to feel confident that a team of industry experts are focused on their needs, their personal needs, their company needs, their vehicle needs. I want people to understand that we're focused on, on them and their future, whatever that may be. You know, how can we help you from a service and serviceability standpoint? How can we help you from a profitability and growth? How can we help you in your career? I think that's the one thing you, that we hope people would take away from working with Hadley is a, an ease of doing business that is focused on what's important to them. You've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin. We've been speaking with Brian, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Hadley. To learn more, go to hadleyadvantage.com. Links are in the show notes. Brian, thank you for being on the Heavy Duty Parts Report. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and i just like to remind everyone to focus on cost per mile and... <laughs> Let's keep those trucks and trailers rolling. HCA Truck Pride is the heart of the independent parts and service channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride and let the heart of the independent service channel take care of your commercial equipment.